if you would stand in honor of God as we read his word together. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. We began looking at this passage last week. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John appeared, baptized in the wilderness and proclaiming a a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt round his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. Uh, let's, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we do ask for your special grace on us this week as we celebrate the birth of your son Jesus. We we pray for us as we have opportunities this week to talk about Jesus with those that we would not normally have an opportunity to do so and and just open doors of conversation with with people at work or school uh, settings or or in family groups that, that we just normally wouldn't have. Help us to take good advantage of those, to be good stewards of those opportunities, and give us grace as we think about what to say. We, as always, just are, are thinking this morning of those who may be hurting, and maybe this week is going to be an especially painful uh, week for them, and so we ask for your grace in their lives. We love you. Pray that you would open your word to us this morning. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas is just a, a few days away, and so I, I hope that you are excited about that, that you're anticipating that, and looking forward to that. Uh, I thought uh, it's helpful to think about some Christmas situations that might arise over the next few days. You're going to be with, with people maybe you're not normally with and some, some Christmas situations you don't normally find yourself in. And if you're like me, it's good to have some reminders about how to respond to various situations you find yourself in. So, for example, kids. Uh, you're going to be opening some, some Christmas presents in a couple of days, hopefully. And a, as you open these Christmas presents, your, your parents probably want me to remind you of this, that you're, you're going to, some of you in this room are probably going to receive presents. And as you open the present and open the wrapping, you're going to see a gift and you're going to realize you already have that. Now, just a reminder, don't say, hey, I already have this or I wanted a blue one, or something like that. What you say in that situation, just a reminder, you respond and you say, why, thank you. This is lovely. And so are you, grandma or grandpa. Some of us uh, this week are going to be with uh, extended family members. In fact, maybe you're sitting next to them right now. And uh, you know there's just going to be some awkward conversations come up, or there's going to be, you're sitting next to uncle, and you know that at uncle at Christmas dinner, he always hogs the conversation and the fudge. And so it's just kind of, how am I going to respond to uncle this Christmas? Here's just a reminder. Here's how you respond. With grace and kindness, and you're a conduit of God's love 
in the lives of the people that you encounter this week. Some of you are going to encounter people who've experienced loss this last year. Maybe a very severe loss. This is, a, this is the first Christmas that someone you love is going to be spending it without someone that, that they loved. And how do you respond in that situation? What do you say? And what if you don't say the right words? Just a reminder, respond with love. Don't pretend it didn't happen. Don't pretend that someone you love isn't in grief. Respond with, with care and concern, right? It's hard. It's going to be a hard week. It's hard to remember exactly how to respond in, in all the, the various Christmas situations we find ourselves in. And, and what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about the most important Christmas response of all, and that is the, the response to the good news of the Christmas message. How do we respond rightly to that? Here in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, we've seen that there's going to be this good news that's proclaimed, and we see that there's a response that's necessitated to that good news. How do we respond, and how tragic it would be this Christmas if you heard the Christmas message, you talked about the Christmas message, you came to church at Christmas and Christmas Eve, and you did all the Christmas things, and you sang the Christmas songs, and you felt the Christmas emotion and the Christmas joy. You had, had all those, those experiences, and yet you didn't receive the benefit of the Christmas message. How tragic that would be. And what I want you to see this morning as we look at, at Mark chapter 1, and we're going to look kind of specifically at verses 4 through 8 of this passage, and we're going to talk about how to respond rightly. What you're going to see is that the Christmas message, the good news of Christmas, tells us that we respond by receiving and sharing the good news. We respond by receiving the good news and sharing the good news. We're going to look at Mark, and I, I want you to, to see a couple things here in these verses that we find out about John the Baptist. And then, after you see those things, we're going to talk about those, those five words that we began looking at last week. So first of all, I, I just want to look at these verses, and I want you to notice a couple things about what's happening here in verses, verses 1 through 8, specifically verses 4 through 8. And we're going to look at a, like three things here, and then we're going to go in and, and talk about the, the five words that we began looking at last week. So the, the first thing that I want you to notice as we look at these verses and see this guy, John the Baptist, is I want you to notice that John is a, a prophet herald. He's heralding a message. He's speaking with a pro prophetic voice. Remember, last week we, we looked at verse 1. It says the beginning of the gospel. And remember what we said about that word gospel? We said that word gospel means good news. And in Mark's audience would have understood that this, this word gospel Good news referred specifically to the good news about a king. This would be a message that was proclaimed about a, a king's victory or a king's reign or the beginning of a king's reign. And so Mark, as he begins this story of Jesus' life, says this is the beginning of the gospel. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus. And then he, he talks about the prophet Malachi and the prophet Isaiah and how each of them said that there would be a messenger, a herald, who would kind of announce the coming of this king. And then, what does he say in verse 4? It says, now there appeared John. And so John is what? John is the herald. John is the one who's going to proclaim this, this, this coming king, this coming Messiah. In fact, 
Even his clothing here in the text reveals that to us. He's referred to in, in other gospel accounts as, as John the Baptist, and here he's referred to as the, the one who's baptizing. And it says that he wears, in verse 6, it says he's wearing camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, this wasn't just uh, some sort of fashion statement John was making. He's saying, you know what, uh, I really like how camel's hair feels. As John wears this outfit, he's saying something about who he is. He's taking on the, the mantle, the, the garb, the clothing attire of a, of a prophet. Look at the Old Testament and you see, for example, Elijah. Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 1 is someone's talking to King Ahaziah and they say, I saw this guy and and he was wearing a garment of hair and he had a belt of leather about his waist. And King Ahaziah says, oh, that's Elijah. Elijah." Okay. And Zechariah talks about the hairy cloak of a prophet. Okay. And so this is as John the Baptist wears this. He's he's saying, okay, I'm, I'm a prophet. And as we look at in the context of Mark, what is Mark telling us? This is a prophet who has appeared in order to proclaim a message to serve as a herald to this coming king. That's the first thing I want you to notice. The other thing I want you to notice, a second thing, is I want you to notice what is he doing? Why is he out there with this strange diet of locusts and wild honey? What is it that John is, is all about? Well, look what it says in verse 4. It says that he's doing this, this ministry of baptizing, and he's proclaiming a message. And what is the message? A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What does that mean? Is Mark saying that John was proclaiming a message saying you need to be baptized to forgive your sins? No, look at it again. It says he's proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This baptism that John is proclaiming, and again, all the gospel writers refer to John and his ministry of calling people to repentance and baptism. This message that he proclaims is a message to repent. Sometimes people look at John the Baptist and say, man, this guy was crazy. He goes out in the wilderness, he wears this camel hair, and he eats locusts and wild honey. He must have said, uh, I, and some people have, have even theorized, well, perhaps John was so sick of this wicked first century culture. He says, I'm no longer going to be a part of it. I'm going to go live in the wilderness and, and just kind of set myself apart from all that, that sin and that culture. But that's, that's not what he's doing. John is actually proclaiming a message of repentance to that culture. He's saying, yeah, as we think about who God is and God's desire for us, we've fallen short. we failed to live in obedience to God. But far from saying, I no longer care about my culture, John is actually saying, I desire my culture to experience the blessing of being in right relationship with God. And so he calls the people of his day, the first century Jew, to repentance. We'll talk more about repentance later on. Baptism is not the means by which the sins are forgiven. Baptism is the means by which the people identify themselves with that message. As John proclaims a message of repentance, a person who agrees with that message says, I I agree with that message, I agree that my heart needs to change, and then as a fruit of that, as a result of that desire to change, a person is baptized, they're identifying themselves. 
with that message of John. Also, we see here as John preaches, he not only proclaims this message of repentance, but he proclaims the superiority of Jesus Christ, doesn't he? He says, Jesus Christ, first of all, is superior to me in terms of stature. He's, he's of greater prominence than I am. He says, after me, I'm heralding another person, and after me is coming this one who I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his, his sandals. And so he's superior to me in terms of his prominence and his stature. But catch this, he's also superior to me in terms of the ministry in which he will engage. Look at what John says about Jesus' ministry. He says, I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The ministry that I'm engaging in is this ministry with, with physical water. You're identifying yourself with my message, but Jesus is going to have the ability, this coming Messiah is going to have the ability to, to change you from the inside out. So John is this prophet herald. That's the first thing that I kind of want you to think about this morning. I want you to think about the message that he's proclaiming. We'll talk more about that as we go on this morning. But, but notice the message. He's proclaiming a message of repentance, calling people to turn and preparing their hearts to receive this, this coming king. And the third thing I want you to notice is how the people respond. How do they respond? It says in verse 5, that all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And so the response is a response of acknowledging that John's message is right, that they need to be prepared to receive this king. I told you last week there are five words that I want us to think through last week and this week kind of words that I want us to meditate upon this Christmas season as we see John the Baptist proclaiming this message. The first word that I told you I want us to think about is the word sin. The word sin. Remember we, we said sin isn't just failing to obey a, a bunch of rules. We said sin is failing to obey what God has told us to do, but it, but it also entails not doing what we've been told to do for the right reasons or the right goal that is the glory of God. Sin is ultimately about failing to be in right relationship with God. Here's who God is and and here's what his character is and for us to fail to understand who God is and be in right relationship with him, that's that's the essence of sin. The people in Isaiah's day, we looked at them and their failure to, to rightly understand who God is and how he wanted them to live in light of who he was. We looked at the people of Malachi's day and how they had such a a cavalier, callous attitude toward God and his holiness. And the people of Mark's day and their failure to rightly understand what it means to to worship God. That's the first word, sin. The second word that we looked at was the word distress, right? Distress. Distress is always the result of sin, or, or let me say it that way, sin always results in distress. There's distress in Isaiah's day, in Malachi's day, in Mark's day, John the Baptist's day, as a result of sin. That brings us to the third word, and that's the word comfort. The word comfort. Remember Isaiah, the first 39 chapters, he talks about God's judgment and the, the distress that's going to result as, a, as, as sin. And then he comes to Isaiah 40, 
He preaches this message of comfort. Isaiah 43, verse 19, Behold, God says, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He comes to chapter 44, verse 3. And he says, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And all of this, all of this is contingent upon the presence of the Messiah. The comfort is found in the person of the Messiah. Okay, so th- those are the first three words. John the Baptist now, now comes pro- proclaiming this, this king, this King Jesus. So, how do we respond to that message of comfort? How do you and I receive the, the benefits of Christmas? Well, that, that brings us to the last two words, how I believe that God desires you and I to respond to the good news of Christmas, the good news that Jesus Christ, the King, has been born. The first word, or the fourth word, the first word I want us to really think about this morning is the word repentance. The word repentance. When John the Baptist speaks, we, we see him uh, calling the people to Repentance. As we see him, he's saying, look, uh, he's proclaiming a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so as he talks about, hey, here's God's comfort. God desires to comfort you. As Isaiah talks about the message of comfort, it, it's all, it, it's, it's com- combined together with repentance. Now, here's a question that you might very well have as you think about me saying that. You say, well, well hold on, Daniel. The Christmas message is, is about a gift, Right? It's about a gift. You know, in a, in a few days, uh, I'm going to be giving a, a gift to my, my oldest daughter. I can, I can tell you what I'm going to give her because she's in first service. So, oh, wait, you're tricky. You're in second service today. You, you almost had me. It's a bag of broccoli. And uh, I have been just excited about giving uh, my precious little daughter this, this, this bag of broccoli. And I'm, I'm imagining her face as, as she opens it up and sees and just hurts to think about how happy she's going to be. Now, if I gave her this, this gift and I see the joy on her face as she opens and I say, now, I'm going to take that for now uh, and let's see, let's see how you do over the next couple weeks and, and if you get to keep that, right? See if you really have earned it. You would say, uh, she would say, you would say, uh, Daniel, you have fundamentally misunderstood the purpose of Christmas. Gifts aren't about a person doing something in order to deserve them, unless you're really twisted, gifts are are given freely. We we sang this morning about receiving this gift of the gospel. Now, how can we also need to repent in order to receive the gift of Christmas? If the gift of Christmas is salvation found in this this King Jesus, how can we have to, to do anything? And what I would say to you is that we have misunderstood what repentance really means. Some of us think that repentance is doing some sort of work. Okay, I'm going to repent and I'm going to do nine things. And then after I've done these nine things and said sorry to these nine people and made it up to them, then I will have repented. We've confused the fruit of repentance with what repentance itself actually is. In fact, I'm going to guess that 
It's not very often that you've heard a, a Christmas message that talks about repentance, but I would argue that repentance is a crucial part of the Christmas story. You see, the Christmas story, as we see here in Mark, the Christmas story is about a, a king being born. And the Christmas message says, look, there's a king being born, and you and I have been in rebellion to this king. And now, because this king has been born and we recognize God with us, Emmanuel, the king is born, uh, we have a responsibility to be in allegiance to this king. And to be in allegiance to this king, there's something we must do simultaneously as we declare our allegiance to this king, as we place our faith in him. What do we have to do? We have to turn away from our own kingdom. As we've been living these lives of disobedience and rebellion to the king, we can't begin following the king until we, we turn away from that path we have been falling. And I'm not talking about works of turning away. I'm saying, I'll, I'll define it here in just a second, actually. L- let, me just desc- let me just read some scripture to you that describes how, how faith and repentance go together. We, we, how do we become a Christian? We, we repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those two things are, are interconnected. You can't have one without the other. Let me just read a couple passages. For example, Acts 20, verse 21. Acts 20, verse 21. The Apostle Paul's ministry is described as one where he is testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what is he saying? Look, you have to repent toward God as you recognize you've been in disobedience to God. You, you turn from that and you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 16.31 tells us. And yet other passages describing the same act of placing your faith in Jesus Christ, the apostles use the word repent. For example, Acts 2.38, Peter says repent. The key we see here is that faith and repentance go together. Hebrews 6.1 talks about repentance from dead works, repenting of dead works and of faith in Jesus Christ. He calls it foundational. What happens when I receive the the gospel message, the message of Christmas, this good news that Christmas tells us about, what happens is I I recognize that I I have these dead works, that I've been following my own kingdom, that I haven't been in submission to the the Lord of lords and King of kings. I I look at those dead works and these, these things I've done to find myself acceptable before God, and I turn from those, and I place my faith in Jesus Christ. You know, those scenes in a movie where the guy is, is hanging from a cliff just by like his fingernails, and then the, the, the cliff begins to, to crumble away underneath his fingertips, and, and he recognizes that he is in a world of trouble because the foundation upon which he is clinging is not going to be there much longer, and then a, a hand is extended, and the person who's, who's hanging there has to make the decision to, to let go of this crumbling foundation and to, to hold on to this hand that offers salvation, and that's, that's the gospel, that's repentance, letting go of dead works, things that cannot save us, and placing our faith in Jesus Christ. You see, they're, they're two sides of the same coin, right? So we think about what biblical repentance is. I, I think there's a, a couple elements to it. You see, the, the Christmas message isn't some kind of vague, you know, Christmas card that says believe in like a snowy font. It's not some, some mystical belief. It's, what it is is it's us turning 
from dead works, placed in our faith in Jesus Christ. And there's a couple elements of, of what happens when a person repents. And I think this is a biblical way to understand repentance. First of all, three things here. First of all, there's, there's knowledge. There's knowledge. I, I come into to contact with, with the gospel message. Or I come into contact with a realization of, of some truth. And maybe I'm, I'm in this sin. And, and what happens first is knowledge. There's now an intellectual awareness that that what I am doing is wrong. Maybe it's a way that I've talked to my parents or it's a way that I've interacted with people in whom I'm in a relationship with. And there's, first of all, a knowledge, hey, this is, this is rebellion to God. This is not how God desires me to be. And then there's an emotional response as well. There's a, boy, I no longer have a desire to, to be doing whatever it is that I'm doing. So repentance is knowledge. There's an element of emotion. And then what is there? There's, there's a decision, an act of the will by which I say, I'm not going to pursue this any longer. So you see that? You see, it's not a work. It's not repentance isn't penance. I'm not saying, okay, I'm going to go do four things for this person and then I will repent and I can have salvation. No, repentance is saying, okay, I know that what I'm doing is wrong. I feel the, the wrongness of that and now I'm making the decision to turn. And even that, that act of emotion can be very tricky because so often we can feel bad about something and, and yet not really have made the decision to turn. In fact, uh, this week, there's a situation that, um, that happened in my family, and I'm, I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want to make the person who was involved look bad because the person was me. Uh, we had this situation in our, our family, and, and uh, I, I was like, totally in the wrong. I mean, you know, sometimes like it's 90% one person's fault and 10% the other. It's like 100% my fault. And I expressed my frustration at my family and I, I go down, I, I sit in, on the couch in front of the TV. I'm going to watch some TV and see how this goes. And I turn on the TV and my, uh, my little boy, uh, Noah, the, the peacemaker, comes in, this little nine-year-old, and he comes to, to me and goes, hey, Dad, I just... Will you forgive me for making you upset? I'm like, oh man. Uh, well, son, uh, actually, actually, uh, daddy, I, I can't. For, I, 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 daddy's totally in the wrong, and daddy knows that. Uh, dad, you know, daddy has an intellectual awareness that what he has done is completely wrong. Emotionally, I, I wish I hadn't, and and I, I told him, I said, um, I know that I'm going to have to apologize to you. I'm just not quite ready yet. You know. I hadn't repented yet. I felt bad about it. Wish I hadn't done it. But I was far more upset about the consequences. And, and now I was really upset that a nine-year-old was convicting me. I did eventually repent and ask for forgiveness. Knew what I'd done was wrong. Felt sorrow over the sin itself. And, and decided this is not how I'm going to continue to act toward my family. It's repentance. It's repentance. As we think about the, the Christmas, what, you know, our, our favorite parts of Christmas. Whitney asked me that at lunch today. He said, what's your favorite part of, of Christmas? And it's lunch, and so I'm kind of hungry. And I said, I think Christmas breakfast. And uh, the, the other, uh, Hannah said, well, I thought you said watching your kids open their presents. And I said, well, that's when I thought we were getting you good presents. And no, I said, it, it's, it's all good, right? And, and we think about the Christmas message. We think of joy and, and peace and love. And and I would say, and, and repentance. Repentance is a crucial part of the Christmas message. 
It must be. It's, it's about the birth of a king. Well, here's the, the last word I want us to think about this morning. It's crucial. It's crucial, this, this whole Christmas message. It's the word proclamation, right? The word proclamation. You and I have been dead in our trespasses and sin. We've, we've felt the distress of that. We've received the, this message of comfort, and we receive this message of comfort through repentance, through placing our faith in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. That's what John the Baptist is proclaiming. And now there's, there's this responsibility that you and I have to proclaim that message, to share that, that good news with others. In Isaiah 40, we've, we've talked about verse 3 that's quoted here in, in Mark chapter 1. And just a few verses later in verse 5, it says, The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then it says in verse 8, The word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, verse 9. O Zion, herald of good news, herald of the gospel. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold our God. Brothers and sisters, as I think about the application of the Christmas message for our church, not just for for this year, but for, for this next year, if God allows us to to continue and, and live into 2015. One of the, the, the hopes that I have for our church is that, that 2015 would be a year where we grow in our ability to proclaim the gospel as a church. As I think about the areas of growth that are needed for us and as we are sanctified and become more like our Lord Jesus Christ, this area of, of gospel proclamation is, is absolutely one of those areas. You see, gospel proclamation, gospel proclamation is not just having a bunch of people walk down an aisle or people raise their hand and say, I, I want to become a Christian. That, that's not all that is entailed in gospel proclamation and, and having an effective evangelism ministry. It's, it's not the, the sign of a church with an effective evangelism ministry if, if a church just has a lot of big events that that are gospel-proclaiming events. That, that's not the sum total of what it means to be a church effective in gospel proclamation ministry. You know, a few weeks ago we had our, our community Christmas, and that's an evangelistic opportunity for our church, but that's not the sum total of what it means to be an effective church at sharing the gospel, right? That's not how we fulfill our responsibility ultimately of, of being a church that is excited about the gospel, the good news of a coming king. What I believe at, at the heart a church that's excited about the gospel. It means that you're going to have a church full of people who are individually and collectively committed to proclaiming the good news of King Jesus. In other words, a church that says, well, it's, it's Pastor Daniel's job to share the gospel on Sunday morning, that, that's not going to be a church that is effective in sharing the gospel. A church that says we're going to have these evangelistic events that we can invite people to and, and that's where the gospel will be shared. That's not going to be a church that's effective in sharing the gospel. Instead, a church that's going to be effective in the gospel is, is a church full of people who say, I am a gospel proclaimer. I am a person who is excited about sharing the good news, the heralding, the, the kingship of Jesus Christ. And I'm not just 
going door to door, not, not, not saying it's wrong, but not just going door to door to strangers and handing them tracts and things like that, but in the, the, the relationships that I have, I see myself as an emissary of the gospel, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And as I, I encounter people, I, I have a, not just a desire to share with them some facts, but that's crucial. But I, have a, I love the people that God has brought into my life. I have a, an overwhelming desire to see them experience the joy of God in their lives. And so I cannot help but proclaim to them the good news that I have received, the good news that I have submitted to, so that they too can experience the joy of being in relationship with God, so that they too can experience relief from sin and distress, can understand the comfort that's provided in the gospel, and they can hear the message of repentance and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to proclaim that. Max Stiles has written a really great short book on evangelism. It's called evangelism. He shares several stories in there of, of people that, that come to faith in Jesus Christ simply by, by being around multiple people in, a, in, a, in the body of Christ who proclaim the gospel to them in different ways. And a, a person meets someone else in one of his stories, and they, they start talking to them about where they are in life. And they say, well, hey, would you, would you be interested in, in coming to this event of my church? I think it was a wedding. And the person says, well, sure. And so they come to this wedding, and the gospel is proclaimed at a wedding. And then they, they have a, a Bible study with them. And just all the, the people that they encounter are, are, are gospel proclaimers. The person doesn't meet someone and say, hey, that's great. Let me talk to our church about beginning an outreach opportunity to you. Everyone's a gospel proclaimer. This week, God is going to give you opportunity. Perhaps opportunities to be a a gospel proclaimer. How do you respond to the the good news of the Christmas message? How how do you respond to this, this good news? Well, it's good news. It tells us that our sin and distress have been dealt with. And here's this message of comfort. Now, how do we respond to it? Respond to it by repenting. By believing in ourselves and placing our faith in Jesus Christ, if we haven't already done so. By continually repenting as we encounter sin in our life. And, and then by becoming proclaimers. May God give us, in 2015, the joy of knowing what it looks like to be a church that is passionate about proclaiming the good news of the Christmas message. A message that is applicable not just on Thursday of this year, but every day of our lives. I'm going to pray here in just a moment, but let me ask the men who are passing out the elements of communion to, to make their way to, to those, the sides here. We have the opportunity this morning to celebrate communion together, the, the Lord's Supper, and invite you as you, you think about this, this opportunity we, we have to remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Paul in 1 Corinthians is, is talking about the Lord's Supper, and here's what he says about what happens as we partake in the Lord's Supper. He says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Part of our ministry of gospel proclamation even begins now where we as a community of faith say, we have received this gospel message. We believe that we're sinners. We believe that we're separated from God due to our sin. But we have 
receive the free gift of God, eternal life through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who came, was born in a manger, God himself becoming human flesh, living the perfect life, dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, and then rising from the dead. We believe that message. We've turned from our own kingdom and, have, and through repentance and placed our faith in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. And now, and now we receive that and we proclaim that. We begin by proclaiming it together in the Lord's Supper. And if you, uh, you need not be a member of our church to partake in the Lord's Supper with us. Anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ may do so. But as you partake in the Lord's Supper together, this morning, my, my encouragement to you would be this. My encouragement to you would be to, to ask God as you meditate upon his sacrificial work on the cross to reveal ways in which he would have you proclaim the good news of his son, Jesus, over the coming days. Maybe he's going to bring to mind a neighbor or a friend or someone that you're going to be with. First of all, pray that God would give you a love for that person. Pray that God would give you just this overwhelming desire to, to love that person sacrificially. You know, Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2 talks about how the people he shared the gospel with, he, as he's talking to them, he says, you became very dear to us. We labored night and day so as not to be a, a burden to any of you because you become so dear to us. We were like a, a mother and a father to you, he says. Pray that God would give you a love for the people that he brings in your life this week. And then, then pray that by God's grace, you'd have the ability to proclaim the good news of his son, Jesus, this week as we proclaim the Christmas message. Let me pray for us then to ask the men to, to pass out the elements. Father, we, we pray that we would love those you bring into our life this week. And, then, and we also pray that you would help us to be faithful in sharing the good news of your son, Jesus, to them. We thank you for your work on the cross that allows us to have life in you through the name of your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.